Hello and welcome to the OT Schoolhouse podcast, your source for school-based occupational therapy tips, interviews, and professional development. Now, to get the conversation started, here is your host, Jason Davies. Class is officially in session. Hey there, and welcome to episode 102 of the OT Schoolhouse podcast. My name is Jason Davies, and I'm excited for you to be here today, especially if you are someone looking to transition into school-based OT, or maybe you just made that switch into school-based OT and you're trying to figure out where to go from here. You know, those first few months can be difficult. Landing a job can be difficult. Even applying for a school-based OT job can be difficult. Do you choose to go with a district or do you choose to go with a contract company? Those are the things we're going to talk about today in our episode with a new grad occupational therapist. Her name is Jenny Lynn Rivera, and she's joining us today to talk about that transition that she went through. She actually passed the National Board of OT course, or not the course, sorry, the test, about in November, I think it was. And then she went ahead and applied for a job in January. And now she's been working as a school-based OT practitioner for about four months. And so she's going to share with us that experience from moving from graduation, going through looking for a job, trying to figure out who to apply for, what jobs to interview with and all that. And then she's going to share with us the last three or four months, how that's been going, what those first few evaluations were like, what those first few IEPs were like. She works for a contract company. So if you are looking at that direction, definitely listen to this. But even if you're in a district as a district OT position, there's still so much value within this episode. So be sure, stick around. Jenny is amazing. You're going to hear how positive she is. She is a self-proclaimed extrovert. She even says that in the podcast today. So she is willing to share all. So be sure, put that phone in your pocket and just listen in. This is going to be a great episode. So without any further ado, here is our guest for today's very amazing episode, Jenny Lynn Rivera. I hope you enjoy this interview. Hey, Jenny, welcome to the OT Schoolhouse podcast. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing good, Jason. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for waking up. I know uh, <laughs> Saturday morning here. <laughs> I appreciate you waking up and uh, doing this with me. I'm excited to talk to you about what it has been in your first few months as a school-based occupational therapist. So how are you feeling? Is this surreal or how how you doing? I mean, it still feels surreal right now. I mean, it's it's been three, almost four months, and it's an up and down roller coaster ride. I came in in the middle of the school year, so imagine that. <laughs> it's pretty rough transition, but I'm starting to get a, the feel of the school-based world. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, usually I like to start off by asking my guests to share a little bit about their background within occupational therapy, but you are like in the midst of creating your background in occupational therapy. So why don't we just kind of start off with school a little bit, OT school? What was that experience like for you? Okay. I mean, I was actually planning to like, you know, share about like my school, whole school, school experience. So, um, well, I mean, basically just a summary, I went to like LA City College for my associates, liberal arts. And then I want to talk about kinesiology in Northridge because that is a huge part of my OT school um, that basically prepared me to, for, you know, kinesiology classes, even motor development. Um, so basically, I got my bachelor's in kinesiology with an emphasis in exercise science, 
from CSUN, yay Matadors. <laughs> and then I took a two-year gap. I worked for the County Parks and Recs. I'm still supposed to be working there, but I got laid off during the pandemic. A lot of employees got furloughed. But during OT school breaks, summer, winter, Thanksgiving breaks, I would do part-time work because, you know, as much as we can, we try to <laughs> limit our student loans. Um, so I did that two years from bachelor's to OT school while I was working as a wellness coordinator and or slash rehab tech for an ALIL or assisted living independent living facility in um, California also while retaking my prerequisite classes and volunteering for Rancho Los Amigos National uh, Rehab Center in Downey. Um, It's pretty big in the OT world. And that's where I pretty much learned more about OT and what we do. I was able to experience inpatient, outpatient. I even um, observed surgery where you stand at the back of the glass. I remember doing that. Watch (laughs) knee surgery. I remember seeing a rotator cuff surgery. (laughs) I was like, all right, I'm good. I don't need to see this ever again in my life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was fascinating. It was a really great facility to learn and to observe. And I'm glad I was able to do that before the pandemic because I don't think they took volunteers Um, during COVID. I'm not sure right now. But so during um, that two-year gap, I applied to two schools. I only applied to two schools because I didn't take my GRE. (laughs) Ah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah, I was so I, I got chickened out with a GRE. <laughs> didn't take it. Quick story on that. For backstory for me on the GRE, I am a terrible test taker, and I scored below the minimum threshold on the GRE for uh-huh. USC. But I had already kind of been committed to USC, and mm-hmm. so I was technically on probation while in the USC OT program because, like, I was supposed to get a thousand on the GRE, and I got like a nine fifty or something like that. And so, Uh-oh. yeah, that's the only time in my life that I've ever been on academic probation. Like, <laughs> I've always been a great student, but because I got a low score on the GRE, I was on academic probation technically. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm a, I'm right there with you. I didn't want to take that. <laughs> <laughs> it is cool that they took you, though. I mean. Like they got you in without, you know, the well, I was in a very, yeah, I was in a, I was in a special program. It's like the bachelor's to master's program. So I was already kind of guaranteed a spot. It's kind of a formality that I had to take the GRE. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm just very fortunate that they didn't like turn me away once I got a low score. <laughs> uh, those were the days when the competition isn't really still <laughs> crazy. Yeah, it's but yeah, um, speaking of competition, so like I applied to two schools in um, Southern California and the first year was not successful, but the admin in Loma Linda, which uh, the school that I went to, she literally took time to look at my application and transcripts and advised me to retake my anatomy, physiology and statistics, which I did because when I was taking those classes before I was a nursing major. And it's a funny stereotype, but it's true <laughs> that my parents want me to be a nurse <laughs> and my heart wasn't really into it. I mean, I salute nurses and I really, really applaud what they do, but I feel Absolutely. like I'm going to cry at the bedside. I don't think it's for me because I would, you know, I want to work with patients in the rehab process when they're ready to get back to, you know, living and to provide or help them achieve a better quality of life so yes I took my I retook my prerequisite classes the second year I applied I got into Loma Linda University 
Um, that was January 2018. And then the school started in June 2018. I so went to school. Our program is two years and three quarters. So it was for master's program. I know it's two years for most schools, but our school, we have religion classes and ethics classes. And we have like a five weeks off in the summer, which was awesome um, for my program, at least. I believe they got rid of the master's program now. They only have the entry level OTD. OTD. So it's pretty accelerated, but that's basically my experience. I'm supposed to graduate March, 2021. But due to fieldwork placement challenges during the pandemic, I was delayed by three months. Um, ended up finishing in June 2021. <laughs> that's not too bad. That's, that's not no, like too bad, so. yeah. yeah. And I wasn't in a hurry because when I graduated, it took like two to three months off. Um, traveling, we my, my fiance now bought a van <laughs> during the pandemic. And we basically took a two-week, three-week uh, road trip north not north like west side so basically california arizona um utah yellowstone what, what oh, wow. state was that <laughs> Wyoming. Like, yeah. Wyoming? wow yeah, yeah montana idaho. idaho so basically like we toured down yeah yeah <laughs> the west side of the u.s um yeah, the- and then spent time with family before tackling and passing the board's exam, which left <laughs> me here today as an OT practitioner. <laughs> yes, and congrats on on passing that. You know, you reminded me as you were talking, as talking about your student life, that I had completely forgotten about this. And, and you just made me recall it, that you were awarded the OTAC Outstanding Student Award at the annual conference last year, right? Yes, I was. <laughs> Congratulations on that. How, what does that mean for you as what did I like, how did you feel? How did you respond as being awarded by the OT Association of California for being a great student? Oh, well, thank you so much. First of all, <laughs> um, it's it's an honor. Um, and that was during, you know, the, the like, the, well, I can't say like the most difficult time for OT students, but, you know, every, everyone's experience. Definitely a difficult time. It is a difficult time. Um, and we transitioned from in-person and then virtual. And I think what led to that is my um, participation in different activities, not just go to school, go home, study, and this and that. Um, while I was in school, I volunteered for, you know, we called it possibilities in Loma Linda, where we have events for people with disabilities. We do 5K runs and, you know, um, ride bikes. I think it's a triathlon type thing. I also volunteered for the chapel over there. I'm not a Seventh-day Adventist, but I love music. so. Like every like probably a couple months, I would volunteer to play the piano or like the drums or the cajon oh, wow. for the church over there. And while serving in the SOTA, so Student OT Association, I started in the first year as a historian. And then the second year I became vice president and I continued that leadership leadership role. <laughs> I got into OTAC, became a volunteer for the conferences, which was fun, Pasadena twice 2018, 2019. Um, and then I became a OTAC membership committee, board member, and then co-chair now. So it's, it's you know, it's, it's a really ex- great experience. And also on my other volunteers outside the church, sewing face masks during the pandemic, I probably sewed like 700 face masks and donated to like different hospitals wow. and communities. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. And you know, 
Well, first of all, kudos to you on earning that award from OTAC. It sounds like you deserved it. I know you are a very busy person, and I know from working with you right now a little bit, I guess I should point out that um, for everyone out there, Jenny has been helping me behind the scenes, actually, at the OT Schoolhouse a little bit, and just working with her. I know that she is a, a go-getter and she is so invested right now in being a school-based OT. That's why I'm excited to talk to her now moving forward in the rest of this podcast. But she's just, she is always going beyond the expectation, whether it's work, life, and even when she was in school. So yeah, thank you also for for continuing with OTAC and serving as an OTAC uh, volunteer. We, we all need those, whether it's for our state organization or national AOTA organization, uh, we definitely need more volunteers. So, so thank you for that. Yes. Thank you, Jason. And, you know, I'll take this opportunity to a shameless plug. <laughs> if any of you want to volunteer for OTAC, feel free to reach out to me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Or reach out to your, your state. If you're in another state, reach out to your state and say, you know, how can I help? We, we, everyone, all the state organizations need, need support. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's go ahead and move forward a little bit. We talked about your life as a student a bit. Remind me again, did you have a school-based OT fieldwork? Yes, I did. I actually had two school-based OT because fieldwork. Because of the whole pandemic mix-up type of stuff going on? Um, Our school in general have a basically... Two level one field work. One is a different um, location. I was placed at a behavioral health inpatient um, psych facility. And then the other one, everyone, all of us in our class have to do a level one field work for the, the, that quarter. Once a week, we go to a school yeah. in um, San Bernardino area and yeah, I get to experience basically like a like a sneak peek on yeah, yeah. school based world. Okay, <laughs> but I forget um, about the level ones. Yeah, the level <laughs> ones. Um, it's really quick. I mean, it's they a are. it's a two week experience, but that experience was virtual school based for us. It was distributed for the entire quarter. Once a week, we would go to schools. But I had my twelve week level two field work at a school district in Southern California. It was an interesting experience because it was hybrid. It was during the pandemic, um, January, 2021. So we are in the process of going back in person, but not totally back in person. Like four days a week, I would do virtual. And then one day I would do in-person assessments and treatment prep. So I was able to see everything virtual and in person. Such a unique experience, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So you did have a little bit of experience in school-based OT coming out of school. And that leads us now to, we're going to skip the NBC OT. I know that's like a whole nother conversation, but talking about moving into the professional world, where did you start? Did you know you wanted to go into school-based OT? Did you apply other places or kind of walk us through even just that mindset that you had? When you decided, you know what, it's time to apply for a job. Well, d- deciding whether to go to school based, I didn't even know about school based OT when I started OT school. Coming into OT school, I thought of, oh, I'm going to do rehab. And I was set in outpatient rehab, but then learning all the things that we learn in school, we have our SI classes, our pediatrics quarter, and also my background in parks and recs because I love working with kids. 
I coached youth sports and I taught music in a private school before, oh, wow. uh, guitar, piano. Um, so the the love is there. And it's funny because when I was young, I wanted to be a teacher. My grandma's a teacher. Three of my aunts were teachers. <laughs> and I think it's our, it's in our blood and I've seen them. But, you know, my, my, my parents kind of want to want me wanted me to go for a medical based job. <laughs> so I compromised because <laughs> I'm the in a medical field, but yeah. in a school based setting. And so that's that's why I decided to go for school based and then meeting mentors in my fieldwork setting as well. And you meeting you <laughs> and continuing to talk to you for like the past, what, two years now. I learned a lot and, you know, the community, like the OT world is a small world and everyone knows everyone. So especially now with social media, you could easily reach out to mentors out there. And that's why, like, I made it a goal of mine to, you know, give back to the community and mentor like potential OT students and new OTs as well. Uh Yeah. And that's what I decided to go for school based. And your second question is how I landed with this job. Well, let's talk about before you let's before let's jump into that. Let's talk about what were some of the things you considered when you were looking for a school based OT job. I mean, districts are all different. Sometimes there's contractors, you know, pay is different. When Mm -hmm. you decided to apply, what were some of the key factors you were looking for a job? Okay, so definitely as a new grad OT, um, my main goal is mentorship. I know I could easily not easily when I was looking at jobs for districts, they put two years minimum experience. So that kind of scared me a little bit. <laughs> and so I that's why I didn't really look into school district jobs. But it is interesting because when I started looking for jobs, I went to Indeed. I turned in my resume and within 24, 48 hours, I got three messages from different recruiters in schools in Southern California. And basically when I was looking for jobs, I look at, of course, the pay, mentorship, schedule, workload, caseload, the the camaraderie, like how how many OTs are there in the company. Um, One of the companies that reached out to me, um, I was on the phone um, you know, they're interviewing me, but I'm also interviewing them. And I asked, how many OTs do you have in the company? And they said, you're going to be the, the first one. I'm like, as a new grad, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. I remember when you t- when you texted me that, like, yeah, that's a little scary, especially as a new grad. You know, you want to have an <laughs> OT to bounce some ideas off of. I think yeah. I even told you, I was like, you know, you have me, you have your previous field work, CIs, who I know you're close to. But mm-hmm. still, you know, when you're when you're diving in as your first year as an OT, you don't want to be doing it alone, <laughs> I don't think. Yes, definitely. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So you looked at caseload, you look at pay a little bit, mentorship you said was key. Quick question about the pay. Was it transparent or was it hard to determine what you might be making when you were looking for a job? It depends on the company. So I learned when I was searching for jobs, some of them are straight to the point, this is how much we'll pay you. Some of them did not list it. So it has an estimated and it had to ask during my interview. Um, so it really depends. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in my experience, 
what I've seen is that districts are straightforward because it's in their like board of education guidelines. Like this is how much you will make step one through step seven or whatever it might be versus contractors. It tends to be a little bit more secretive and you get that range per se. The other thing that I've noticed is that districts it's, it's salary versus contractors. It might be hourly. They kind of make it they kind of make it a salary per se, because you're going to get eight hours every single day for a hundred and whatever days. But at the same time, it is technically still, still hourly. And so if you Mm -hmm. don't work a day, maybe holidays or whatever it might be, then that's time that you don't get paid for. So yeah, that was, that's one thing I've noticed. All right. So then what did you ultimately decide on? How many districts did you apply to? And what was that process like? So I did not apply to district jobs so because well, the experience kind of like daunted me. <laughs> but like even in OT school, actually, I was already eyeing this company. This company that I work for right now, I have two friends that are still in there. I had multiple friends that, you know, that worked there before. So they're really known in OTAC and Loma Linda and this is a small, big company, like our big, small company. <laughs> uh, it's a small company, but they're big because they have over 100 OTs and, you know, a dozen PTs and they have a main um, office in um, Fullerton. I'll just mention like the cities. And then we reach out all the way to, you know, 20 miles away to like, all the way down south to Long Beach area. (laughs) So it was a pretty big company and they're known for their mentorship. And like what I said, pay, of course, we look at the pay and it's like the biggest factor when you're taking a job. But me personally, I went in for the mentorship. And um, if you would like me to talk more about the mentorship for my job, this company for new grads or new hires, especially for new grads, we are assigned with a one-on-one supervisor. So we have someone to text, to call. Um, You decide how often you want to meet the supervisor. But for me right now, I, we meet once a week for an hour, but if it's a, high-profile cases, we, we could be <laughs> for hours. <laughs> and also, we have a weekly mentorship meeting. So new hires for the whole year, we meet with this specific mentor and we talk about like our, how our week went, what's, what's the craft that you did for this week, and you know the highs and the lows of the week, and if you have any questions. Also, you have, like what I mentioned, they have over 100 practitioners so you have access to a hundred over a hundred ots for advice resources for questions you could just send out a blast email to everyone if you have a like a random question out there that you can't um that your supervisor doesn't have any answers for yeah so that's why that's what i heard from my friend and that's what i'm what i'm experiencing right now working for that company That's great because I know there are a lot of companies out there, both districts and contractors who kind of, yeah, we'll give you mentorship. And really sometimes that mentorship ends up being maybe like a subscription to occupationaltherapy.com or like they don't really provide the mentorship that they say they're going to provide. And from talking to you both just now and from what I've heard you speak about over the last few weeks, you know, you are getting that. In fact, you even mentioned that as a new grad, you get like an administrative day, right? Yes. 
Wow. So I have so an admin can... day. We have 14 hours of admin time per week. Yeah. <laughs> 14 hours. So that's like a day and a half. That's almost two days. Yeah. So my schedule, basically it's eight o'clock to let's say three o'clock, depending if you have an IEP, if it's a longer IEP uh-huh. then, but at the end of the day, I have at least an hour of admin and then I have a solid day of admin time for reports, um, organizing treatment prep. If I do, you know, when I started, they started giving me more kids. If I feel overwhelmed, I just have to, you know, reach out to admin or the owner and tell them, oh, this is what I feel right now. Um, And they were able to adjust my schedule. They took out um, or they didn't really force me to take kids and gave me that make sure that I have that 14 hours of admin time because I need that right now, especially yeah. with report writing. And I'm still super slow three uh-huh. months in. <laughs> it, that's how it works. That is definitely how it works. It takes time to figure out what we're doing. So yeah. um, that, but that's very cool that your, your company recognizes the importance of giving you that time up front as a business owner. I mean, I think of it as a way of investing in you, you know, they're making sure that you're learning the right way because Mm -hmm. that way down the line, when you're working for them five years later, hopefully, you know, that's, that's of course their, their hope is that you'll stick with them long-term. You're going to know what you're doing and you'll be that person that the new grads can reach out for help and provide the support that they need. So that's, that's really great that they're giving you this time. Um, Now, I want to move on to our next subject, and I I almost feel like we might have to split this episode up in two because we are talking about so much, (laughs) and I love it. But you talked about districts wanting more experience, and so you actually were scared to apply to those a little bit. I want to dive into that just a a little bit deeper. Um, (laughs) You you touched on it, but explain a little bit more about what what you were seeing in those um, job offers and how that made you feel. Well, that is just my personal, you know, personal insight when I was looking at jobs. But for new grads out there, don't like take my experience. And, you know, it's it's a subjective insight. I know someone and my my previous field work, um, my level two, we had when they came in, they had new employees or two new employees. And one of them actually went to the same school that I did. And she's a new grad. Um, she had a fieldwork experience in um, a unified school district in in the Southern California, LA, I believe, and she was able to get a job right away at this at the district. So it really depends. So that's one, but also two. I saw two years experience minimum and certain certifications needed. Yeah, right. So, yeah. So so that your your colleague that got that job. Were they asking, was that district asking for two years of experience? Do you know? I believe, yes, they did. Okay. Mm-hmm. So she decided to apply anyways. And lo and behold, even yes. as a new grad, they were able to take her. Okay. Yes, Because I believe um, it really depends. I mean, the two-year experience is just on paper. If you had a job before, I believe she worked for the school district as well before as an ABA or some kind of position. So she is familiar with the school district and also how well you did you do on an interview, what kind of professional development you did before you applied. Um, and so, you know, you invest in yourself before. And that's why I'm telling the, the, the students that I meet right now, try to not just limit yourself to learn what you learn in school. Look at other opportunities out there, like your conferences or your state association conferences. They offer 
professional development classes that will help you learn things. Because I learned a lot of things outside classroom <laughs> before I even graduated, which helped me get to where I am today. The resources, you know, thousands and thousands of files from my school-based fieldwork um, educator Absolutely. before. And yeah, so don't limit yourself out there. Yeah. And honestly, if you're listening to this interview, then you've probably already listened to several episodes of the OT Schoolhouse podcast. Mm -hmm. And I have had so many therapists reach out to me and say, you know what, because I've listened to your podcast, I was able to get a job. And I don't know, I, I, I don't, I've never had anyone reach out and say like, I listed it on my resume or anything, but <laughs> just the knowledge that they get from listening to the podcast, they're able to better express themselves during the interview process and mm -hmm. better answer any screening type of questions that might pop up in the, in the application process. So. Yes. And may I say, Jason, like you're, you're, I'm not just, telling this because you're my friend but <laughs> um, well I mean in OT school I listen to the podcast too because school-based OT it's like a different world of OT because we only got a quarter of learning in school-based but it's like you speak a different language when you go into school-based so there are terms that you don't really even even starting in the job like there are things that I still don't know and the podcast, and I know you have a blog about this too. And when I was in, in my fieldwork, I wrote five blogs about my experience, like how to prepare yourself, you know, the, the alien language of um, school-based OT. <laughs> and yo, yeah, so I'm just, just to like verify that information, like listening to OT Schoolhouse has widened my vocabulary and my understanding of the school-based OT world that and learn things that I didn't really learn out there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate you listening and, and especially appreciate you coming on and sharing so much of what you've learned even through this process. So the whole point of this podcast was to get to your first three months of actually working as a school-based OT. We haven't even gotten to that point, like where you're hired yet, but I know this is going to be super helpful for anyone listening, especially students out there, anyone that's thinking about transitioning to school-based OT. So I don't want to skip this part. And that is a little bit about the interview process. Um, I don't want to go too deep into this, but what were you expecting and what did it end up looking like going in and, and doing that interview? I guess I'll make it this brief. <laughs> and because my experience is different because of course. Um, if you apply for a school district, I heard that they ask, you know, school-based OT specific questions, like what's an IEP, like what to expect, how they give you um, case um, study, like if this student has this, what are you going to do? My experience, this doesn't happen to everyone. <laughs> I literally just came in because, I mean, I told you I was already looking at this company before I graduated. Uh -huh. And they, my friends already told me that you're not really interviewed for what you can offer as an OT, they're looking more on personality. So when, I mean, we have some OT topics in there, but I was in there for two and a half hours oh, wow. That's just a long talking interview. about my life, my interviewer's <laughs> life and our connection in OTAC. And, you know, um, yeah, so it's more of a personality interview. So it's, 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 I can't, I'm sorry, I won't give you much detail because this is not helpful because for other, like, I don't know, like the district interviews would be something different that yeah. like school-based OTs would experience. But um, I guess I, what I was trying to get into was um, 
was I trying to say? Of course, I came in with a folder. I researched, this is helpful information. I researched salaries for Glassdoor, Indeed, otsalary.com, and I was ready to negotiate my pay during that interview. So this is one thing when you go to your interview, um, get ready to negotiate. Have a list of questions. So I did have a list of questions, of course, about your benefits, um, the workload, the caseload, mentorship, uh, you know, expectations, how many hours a week you're supposed to work, what kind of everyday everyday activities as an OT. Yes, I guess that's why. Wait, I have a question. You said yeah. you went in with a folder ready to negotiate. Did you negotiate during your initial interview? Not really, because I spoke with an owner and it was an HR question. So I had to <laughs> wait for my offer and then, <laughs> like try to do that in negotiation after I got offered. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What was so you did some homework and I'm not going to ask you how much you're getting paid, but what was that range that you were finding for Southern California that OTs were kind of what were you ex- kind of what was that range you were expecting? It was really a huge, wide range. I, it's, it's funny because coming in an OT school, you're expected to pay, oh, this much. But it, it ranged from 65 to 120. <laughs> 65 to 120 an hour? An hour. I mean, sorry, K. A year. year. A year. Yeah. Okay. So it's a huge range. You know, it's like a double range. So yeah. it really depends. So of course, district will probably pay more. <laughs> and contract companies are probably going to be paying lesser. But yeah, that's the range, 65 to 120. Per year. And that's, of course, that's Southern California. It's very specific Mm -hmm. to region. Um, You know, things change from from one place to another. So I just want to clarify for anyone listening that, yeah, it is definitely a Southern California area that she's talking about for 65 to 120. And and that's what I've experienced as well in, in my past. So, all right. Let's skip now to you have a job, you are working for this company and explain kind of how this looks, the larger picture. You talked about it being a contract type of company. So so just kind of give us an outline of what that looks like for you. So contract company, we have, each company is different. For us, we have a satellite office, our main office in Fullerton, and we service different districts. Um, I think we have six or eight, and each of those districts depends too. So one district have two dozen employees. One district would probably lesser. Mine has 12. So different districts, and I'm assigned to one district in um, the LA, LA area, and I service three schools. I go to to Monday, Tuesday, I'm in one school, Wednesday, Friday, I'm in a two different schools. And then I have my Thursday as admin day. Gotcha. Okay. So three schools within one district. How far mm-hmm. away are your how far away are your schools about? Just general five minutes, ten minute drive? Five to ten, I would okay. say. Yeah. So pretty close. I mean, you're in a yeah. very suburban area, so mm-hmm. uh, that makes sense. All right, cool. I just wanted to, everyone to have a picture of what we're talking about because other people might be in a much more rural area. And mm-hmm. so what we're going to talk about will still apply, but keep in mind that it will be different than your experience. So now you figured out you're in a job, you've got your schools assigned to you. What were some of the first things you remember feeling like that you needed to do in order to get prepared to start working in those schools? 
So I definitely went shopping. <laughs> so as a school-based OT, and that, that's the reason why I, like one of the factors to why I went to school-based, because I'm a, I'm a crafty person. I love making stuff. And before even learning about how the, the stipend for the, the therapy materials that we have, I already went shopping for Play-Doh, um, papers, pencils, pencil grips. Because from my experience in my school-based, Fieldwork. I mean, those are the things that I are I encountered, and my 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 supervisors actually gave me a gift at the end of my fieldwork, and it had some like essential therapy materials in there, which I build on. Um, and I basically have my closet <laughs> of school-based OT stuff. Uh, so I went shopping. Also, I reviewed my terms, my terminology for school-based IEP, IEE. Um, who are the members of the IEP team? What do they do? How can we provide help as an OT? What do we do as an OT? So basically, I just refreshed myself on the things that I would need. Also, reach out to my mentors, I believe, like, you know, if, if they have any advice for me, <laughs> um, starting in the job, what to expect, um, what are the challenges that I and how to how do I overcome it? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So that's pretty much what I did. I mean, I also, of course, what in interview process, I looked in um, their professional development package because I want to tie that in during the school year because some companies I wasn't sure for ours it expires at the end of the school year so I have to incorporate that in my schedule and when I should take and so this is also a um, promotion I'm not sponsored a shameless (laughs) plug shameless plug Um, but calling out hi Beverly (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to attend the the size matters handwriting program in June and the company's paying for that, um, for that, well, a part of it, we're getting $300 for professional development, but also paid hours to attend it. So yes, I looked at professional development that I could take certification that I could get a hold on, you know, like just to like invest in myself to give back to my, my, my students. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, for anyone listening, if you haven't already Episode 89, that was with Beverly Moskowitz of the Size Matters Handwriting Program, and that's the course that uh, Jenny was just talking about. So check out episode 89 if you want to learn more about Bev. And all right, you had administrative time. How Hmm. did you use that first week of administrative time to get prepared? So first week, I did a lot of initial chart reviews because I don't know anything about these kids. Definitely the first... And the good thing about this company too, um, you know, I'm not sponsored, but (laughs) the first two weeks I was only um, shadowing my supervisor, the OT that I was going to replace. And she was there doing her routine and I was just following her, asking questions and I'm already paid on the clock. And the admin time during those two weeks, I reviewed charts. I looked at reports. I treatment prep for the next week. So basically that's what I did. <laughs> that's important. You know, you, you got to get organized and knowing you, I'm sure you probably figured out some spreadsheets to put together and <laughs> documents and got all the goals and organized in a very particular way. And I recommend doing stuff like that too. You know, take time to get organized. If you can and, and you know what that might be something that you need to speak up and tell your boss because a lot of 
companies, you know, they expect you to day one start seeing kids. And that's a very difficult expectation because, I mean, as an OT, you know, I, I like to think that we are very ethical people. And, you know, it takes time to start to know what to work on before we should just be thrown in and working on it, right? We, mm-hmm. we need to develop a treatment plan. And it's hard to, develop, hard to develop a treatment plan if you don't know anything about the child you're about to work with. So speak up to your boss and say, you know what, can I take a day or two just to look at the files and get organized a little bit? Definitely. Yeah. All right. So I just want to ask you about the first couple experiences that you had. And maybe we, I mean, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it goes. First evaluation or two. Tell us about the first few evaluations you did, the experience that you had with that. So, wow. In three months, I already done a lot. <laughs> In my company, we don't do initial evaluation as a, as a new grad okay. and as a new hire, which is awesome. But I've done a lot of tries. It was it's, I guess it's, it's a subjective experience too, because it depends on the kids that you're working with. Mm-hmm. I was assigned in a school, the only school in the district that has an autism program. So most of my, my kids are mod severe. And so, you know, coming into OT school, oh, we learn about these evaluation. You go step one, step two, step three. Yeah. <laughs> and I was doing, um, so right now I've only done the VMI, Beery and, um, the Peabody. So beer is pretty straightforward. You go with the VMI, the, the visual perception, and then the motor develop the motor coordination. Yep. It was sad. My first one, it was pretty sad because it, it's not severe. And the kid was, um, I believe he was first grade or kinder. And, you know, unable to sit down for the task for the entire time, lots of verbal, visual, and physical prompts. So it wasn't really, it wasn't really, I didn't really see much on that evaluation. So that is only the standardized part of it. But then I also did some functional um, assessments to have them like the drawing, the coloring, the grasp, and also interviewed educational staff because Standardized assessment is just one thing, and then you probably learn it from your podcast. <laughs> so yeah, that's my first evaluation. It, it didn't really go as planned. I mean, never. I mean, nothing goes as planned in this right. You just have to be flexible on the spot. But I've also had um, Peabody was pretty challenging because you go by okay, step one, step two. But if the blocks are already in front of you, you just have to like do the blocks. <laughs> yes, I totally remember. I used to have a little cheat card. I, I made like a three by five, um, a three by five note card. And I put like all the block activities together, all the paper and scissor activities together mm-hmm. and like everything. So that way you just do all the blocks at once and you just stop once you get to, you know, the the failed whatever block attempt, right? They couldn't do yeah. the bridge, so you stop. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, the Peabody, if you try and do it in order, it can take forever because <laughs> you're constantly switching materials. But yeah. if you learn how to batch it a little bit, it can go a lot more yeah. smoothly. Definitely. Yeah. I'll probably need a copy of that. <laughs> <laughs> it's long gone. Sorry. I, might... <laughs> I mean, I, I could rewrite it, but... <laughs> <laughs> oh man rewrite it to get familiar to get more familiar with it right now because yeah. <laughs> it's still yeah. a learning process absolutely all right so that was the first evaluation um let's let's continue down that road so you did the evaluation you know you made it through it didn't go quite as planned but you made it through tell us about the first few ieps how'd you feel 
first few IPs, I was definitely scared. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was talking to you about this. <laughs> I was scared. Um, and the good thing with that too, my company too, my my supervisor was there to like attend with me for like first two, three IEPs um, in case they have a question, um, they can back me up. But, you know, I have to be confident of what I deliver because, you know, and also the IEP that I attended, I'm delivering information that the previous OT have inputted because it's a transition. So I wasn't really fully familiar of it. That's why we're there's two of us tagging um, tag team for sending the IP. But it's definitely um, scary. But it was virtual. The first month, I believe, it's still virtual because it's January, February. March is when we started to incorporate more in person. When I went to so first virtual and then I did my first in person, that is also scary. <laughs> <laughs> because I love public speaking, but I guess if the, if it's something that I I do for the first time, I mean, of course, you get the jitters. Yeah, but yeah, of course. as soon as you stand out there, you just have to. I just have to be myself. Like you make jokes here and there about the kid. You you try to focus on the on their strengths, like your deliver. Because I've I've sat on IEPs that are really sad and we try to you know strength to approach to give a strength-based approach on our IEPs and that's what I try to do with minds because you know we are servicing the kid or we're here to help them improve and we want to empower them using those strengths to build on the challenges that we're trying to work on yeah so and there there might not be an answer to this question but have you had to sit through an IEP that was very difficult where you struggled because for any reason that was going on or have they gone mostly pretty smooth so far? No, I have sat in a couple um, uh, high profile IEPs, um, IEPs that had lawyers before, had advocates. Already, wow. They didn't attend on my IP, but they had it before, but it's still the longest one I attended so far here is two and a half hours. And that's in person. So, <laughs> and I have like have to stretch here and there. <laughs> Drink my stretch water. But, you know, I mean, I, I cannot blame the parents. I know a lot of people are saying that like, it's challenging parents, but they just want the best for their kids. And they were trying to work as a team to, you know, have a a middle ground and to provide what's best for the kid. 100%. Absolutely. Great. Well, you know, I'm glad that for the most part, they've gone smoothly. I'm sure there will be one in the next year or two that will be a lot more difficult and uh, we'll have to talk about it again. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I don't, again, we're getting close to where we should wrap up. So I'm going to, I'm going to wrap up with a few questions quickly. Tell us what your caseload looks like right now, both in numbers and the type of services that you're delivering. Okay, so my caseload looks like, number-wise, I started with 35, and in three months, I was able to pick up five or six more kids, so I'm probably in 40, 45-something. Um, but that depends. The, the service-wise, it ranges from six times a year, collaboration to once a month collaboration to twice a month collaboration to once a week collaboration to once a week and compensatory time. Oh, wow. So it arranges my caseload. Um, and yeah, difficulty depends as well. But yeah, number wise, 45, 
and okay. services. Mm-hmm. All right. Two questions based upon what you just said. Um, compensatory, I'm assuming that means that the student was owed extra minutes from either missed sessions or whatever. And so that's the compensatory time? Yes. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, those are the the, prof- the the high profile ones that they had lawyers and advocates. And yes. Mm-hmm. And I think we're also seeing some of that right now because of the pandemic. There are people yeah. arguing that, you know, those services don't count and that that is for each district to figure out how they're going to go about that. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. Then the other thing is you use the term collaborative model a lot. You said six times a month or six times a year collaborative all the way up to one time a week collaborative. Was that on purpose using the word collaborative? Are you what does collaborative mean to you? Yes. I mean, I guess it's in purpose because we have the collaboration model and individual model. So for my individuals, basically, I I have an OT office in at least all of my schools. Um, We have one school, we have an OT office and one school, I have a room, a designated room that I use. And, you know, in one on one individual, I take uh, I pull out the kid from class and then we work on OT goals in the office. Collaborative model can um, basically include talking to the teachers, the staff, the parents, um, as well as pushing. Um, it could also be a, a few times pull out just to, to do the assessments and the goal progress. And then a lot of basically communicating with everyone in the team. Yeah, that's great. I, I love that you're already starting down the collaborative road, even within your first year of school-based OT. I can tell you this right now, 10 years ago, when I started as a school-based OT, collaborative approach like wasn't even a thing. Um, oh. So that that is fantastic that you are over. I mean, again, I, I shouldn't say the way that I said it because it's it was a thing, just not where I was, mm-hmm. um, not my schools. And so that's great that you're already jumping in because I always tell new grads, it's hard to do a collaborative. You know, it is easy to pull a student out and work with them one-on-one. I mean, you pull that student out, you know, we're not thinking this, you know, cognitively, but it's not in the forefront of our brain, but we're pulling that student out. There's no one watching us. There's no one grading whether or not what we're saying is actually like working Mm -hmm. or not until we give our progress reports. Uh, But doing that collaborative approach, getting into the classroom, it is tough. And you've yes. got to build relationships with the teachers, with the aides, with the lunch noon mm-hmm. duty aides, if you're working out mm-hmm. at lunchtime, with the principal, the speech therapist, everyone. So kudos to you for already diving into that collaborative model. That's that's fantastic. Two more and, questions. Um, Go being, ahead. Uh, sorry, just to add to that, the collaboration model, because LREs, least restrictive environment, um, if we pull out the kid, we pull them out from the education or the curriculum that they're missing in class. Um, and, you know, like having the team in my district, they're really supportive um, from, you know, the, 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 the school, the, the cafeteria people, the custodians, the teachers, the admins. I try to learn their names. Uh, I'm pretty OK with names. So I, when I see them, I call them their names out and, you know, try to to try to make that rapport and relationship with everyone. Yep. That's that's smart. I. <sighs> That was something that was always a struggle for me was remembering everyone's name. Um, <laughs> I even would put, I would even put people's names into my phone, into a notes app. So that way, like, as I was walking into a classroom, I could remember the name of the age, you know, the teachers, it's easy to remember the teachers, you know, you're, you're in constant contact with them with IEPs and whatnot. Uh, but the age, sometimes they move around a lot and it's just, yeah. you know, you, 
you get so much more, the more you put in, the more you get out, right? So the more mm -hmm. effort you put into working with them, knowing them, the more they're going to work with you and work with the oh, kids yes. in the way that, that you want them to. So um, mm -hmm. that great, great feedback on that. Yeah. All right. Last two questions, and they're, they're going to be more upbeat ones, I hope. What would you say you have enjoyed most in your first few months as a school-based OT? I definitely enjoyed, I'm a person who doesn't like being cooped up in a building for the whole day. And I know this might be stressful for other people, but I like the change, <laughs> the flexibility. Um, every day is different. I may have a schedule to follow, but it also takes cognitive flexibility to, oh, this kid doesn't show, is absent today. What are you going to do? You have to like try to move your schedule around. I like that part of the job. And also some people don't like being in the car. I like the, the traveling between schools because that, give me, that gives me a time to reset, take that. I, I know you have an episode about mindfulness to take that minute or two to just breathe because that is really important, especially the first two months. I was crying probably almost every day because it's so hard. I, I was thinking of quitting because, you know, like coming from school and then going straight to like a 40 hour per per week job and it's physical and then you have to do reports. It's it's really a lot. And that driving part between my schools gave me time to relax and reset and rest for a little bit before I hop in again. Um, but I also enjoy meeting a lot of people, new people. Um, when I walk in a school and they know that I'm the OT, that they already automatically greet me. And, and you know, we we chat about our lives. We yeah. learn about, you know, oh, you go to this church. I go to this grocery mart and stuff. I know, like, like I'm really, I'm an extrovert. So, like, slightly intro, I guess, depends. When I go home after work, I just want to go home. But when I'm at work, I'm in my A game. Like, I try to, you know like bring that energy at the job and you, you it, it it they give it back to you whatever you yeah. give out to you know to everyone they it's it's nice when they call out they call me by my name not just because it's you know the teacher the writing teacher or like the, yep <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, the fine motor teacher. Yep, but the PT. I know. <laughs> so, Miss Jenny, the OT. Yeah. So, and they and I tell them what I do. So, not just that those things that they are really known for. Yeah, that's awesome. And you know, thank you for you know. I I preface that with. I think these will be positive, but you're right. There, There is difficult times, especially in your first year, and it's going to be tough a little bit. So, with that, thank you for sharing a little bit about the struggle. But knowing that's a struggle, what advice would you give to anyone who is either A, looking to get into school-based OT, or maybe they just got a job last week and they're in school-based OT? What advice would you give them? I guess I have a few couple of advice. Is one is believing yourself, especially for new grads. Imposter syndrome, it is there. I don't usually like call it that way, but you know, I don't really fully know what it is. But <laughs> I guess sometimes I feel it. Like I feel like I'm not, I don't know what I'm doing, but you have to remind yourself that you are the one who went to school for this. You are the one who have OTRL. You took the boards and you basically are the professional. And coming out there, I don't know. I mean, I don't really go by this motto of um, fake, fake it till you make it. But <laughs> I don't I don't really like it. But <laughs> sometimes I guess you just have to. I don't call it that way. But 
when you're even though you're unsure you know you just have to present yourself confidently if you're if you're presented with a question and you're not sure tell them honestly oh i'm not sure i don't know the answer right now but you probably heard this from people like but i'll, I'll look into it and i'll get back to you don't give them like a false advertisement <laughs> like false information if you're not sure about something and also don't beat yourself up you make mistakes i did make mistakes and i did be- beat myself up but my supervisors said which is a good thing with this company they really not just there to make the productivity that they're there as a friend too and they remind me too because they know my personality by now i'm kind of a perfectionist and they said that sometimes you just have to deal with what is out there and you cannot make everything perfect and you have to adjust like on the spot yeah so i guess be flexible too a lot of type a's in ot school and like me things are not gonna go your way all the time it's okay to be prepared it's nice to be prepared but you just have to have a backup plan i have a cart with me with a dozen of different activities if one plan doesn't work go to the next one and literally every kid is different one kid may only last for one minute and you have like 20 25 minute um session you just have to adapt and grade your activities up and down based on what they need <laughs> absolutely yeah. great advice great advice yeah you know the fake it till you make a thing i have officially replaced that and i think it was on a podcast that i heard this but instead of fake it till you make it believe it until you achieve it Ah, that's the new one believe it until you achieve it that's the one i'm i'm turning it into because you're right you know we're not faking it we do know what we're talking about we just have Mm -hmm. to believe in ourselves and when we believe in ourselves uh we can achieve anything so believe it until you achieve it that's that's what i'm replacing fake it till you make it with (laughs) all right jenny well thank you so much for coming on uh really quickly share where people can learn more about you obviously you're helping me out a little bit at the ot schoolhouse but outside of that where can people find you Yes. So pre-OT students, I have a YouTube um, channel of all my experience during OT school. And even now, um, even though I'm, uh, well, I'm busy, I haven't been uploading videos, but um, a lot of informational videos from my OT school experience. And you can see it, uh, Jenny Berry OT, I believe. I don't even remember my YouTube anymore. <laughs> but my, my website is jennyberry.com, J-H-E-N-N-Y-B-R-R-Y. I mean, Jason's going to put a link on the website. Um, YouTube uh, website and Instagram, um, Jenny Berry OT. And I marked those down, so we will add those to the show notes. Uh, If you'd like links to those, head on over to otschoolhouse.com forward slash episode 102. Wow, I still can't believe we're in episode 102. But Jenny, thank you so much for coming on the OT Schoolhouse podcast and sharing your experience. Um, I couldn't have asked for anything more. And I know this is going to help so many OT practitioners that, um, A, they just graduated or maybe they're still in school and just thinking about, they want to know what to expect once they get out of school. This is all going to be very helpful information. So uh, thank you. I really appreciate you being willing to come on and, and share your experiences. And you're very welcome. It's so much fun. Let's do it again. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. We'll have to do a one-year update maybe or something. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you so much. And yeah, I will uh, catch you later. All right. Bye.
All right, and that is going to wrap up episode 102 of the OT Schoolhouse podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am sure there are more people listening to this sentence right now than there usually is at the end of every OT Schoolhouse podcast because there was just so much great stuff there, and she was just so exciting to talk to. Thank you, Jenny, so much for coming on and talking about your experiences here within your first two months of being a school based OT. I hope that you found this episode so helpful. And if you did, please just share it with your friends, share it with a colleague who is ready to make that switch to school-based OT, share it with that new school-based OT practitioner that you work with every day. Let them know about the OT Schoolhouse podcast and that this episode is worth the listen. And go ahead and listen to all the other episodes we got going on. There are so many good episodes within the podcast and more are coming in the future. This is episode number 102. We dropped this in June. So this is a good time to be looking for a new position, to be looking to make a switch from maybe one career to another. Maybe you had a kid and you just want to have summers off. And so you're thinking about moving to a school position. That's great. Thank you so much for being here. And I hope to be able to support you in so many more episodes. We have so much going on at the OT Schoolhouse, the website and with our conference coming up in August. So I hope to see you there. But yeah, I'm going to uh, take a moment to breathe sign off and I will see you in episode 103 of the OT Schoolhouse podcast. Take care, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to the OT Schoolhouse podcast. For more ways to help you and your students succeed right now, head on over to otschoolhouse.com. Until next time, class is dismissed.